So by show of hands, who's already gotten in their cars, drove around, and done some Christmas light looking? Lots of us. My night is tomorrow night. Our family's going out. And for those of you who have texted my wife, what's your route? What do you do? Please stop. It's stressing her out. Um, so um, I don't know how she tells me where to drive. I feel the need to publicly confess. A couple of weeks ago, I made mention of the fact that we love getting in the car and driving around and looking at Christmas lights. And my wife figures out the route and she does it. I'm, I didn't lie to you, but I don't know what she does, but she it, it's stressing her out. And so I'm publicly confessing and asking you, leave her alone. Um, so uh, she loves you all. Just don't text her. What's How do you find your Christmas lights? She just does it. She's magic. She's awesome. Um, so we have been, we're wrapping up this morning our Advent series as, as this week we, we come to our Christmas, all the hustle, all the bustle, everything leads up to Christmas Eve and we've been working our way backwards kind of through Jesus' life and ministry and looking at different accounts as we've seen Jesus is brighter than our past a few weeks ago looking at the life of, of the Apostle Peter and how uh, Jesus took and restored and redeemed his faults and his flaws and his failures and that nothing we can do can can out sin our Savior. And then last week we saw that in the moment when uh, we looked at possibly the most uh, debated and critiqued uh, story in the, the Gospel of John as we saw the woman caught in adultery and how Jesus right there in the moment when she deserves condemnation and death, he gives her grace and commissions her to go and sin no more, that Jesus is brighter than our present struggles, our present pains and hurts, and, and that I hope this past week that throughout your week you've cried out to him and just proclaimed, Jesus, you're brighter, and that you've seen victory in that. And so this morning, if we've looked at the past, we've looked at the present, crowd participation, where do you think we're going? Say that's the right answer. Say it like you mean it. All right, we're better at the Jesus is brighter, but you're right. Future. So Jesus is our bright future, and this has really been uh, this series really comes out of my time studying the, the book of Hebrews, and so by now, hopefully, you know where we're going. Hebrews one verse three says that He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. That he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That after making purification for sins, he is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. That Jesus is our brightest of Christmas lights and that he is our bright future. And so this morning we're going to look, if last week we looked at maybe the most debated and critiqued story in the Gospel of John, today we're going to look at a verse we all probably know. It's the, it's the most popular verse in the Bible. Um, you see it at football games. You see it at sporting events. Those were things we used to be able to go and participate in um, before COVID. And so um, we're going to look at that, but we've got to get there first. And so I want to kind of set the stage. If you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 3. Um, and, and let's just, we're going to walk through the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. But in order to understand what's going on, I think we, we kind of need to know what's been happening in the life and ministry of Jesus. And so Jesus has been performing signs, miracles. He's been doing things. He's been letting people know that he's here, that the one that they were waiting for has arrived. And the signs point to the work that he wants to do, the spiritual kingdom that he's coming to initiate. 
But people are believing and they're drawn to Jesus. And at the end of chapter 2, what we see in verse 24 and 25 says that Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. What's happening is people are seeing Jesus do unexplainable things, and they're starting to believe in him, but in a, in a way that maybe like you and I would go view a magic act. A magician. When I was in third grade, kind of my first public up on stage experience was I was at a, a Christian school, and I don't know why they had a magician come into chapel, but they did, and they recruited me to be like a part in his act. And I remember in that act going, wait, this isn't real. Something else was going on. You didn't really chop my finger off in a guillotine. You pretended to, and then I had to run out screaming. And that's where I fell in love with being up in front of people. But So I'm weird, and pray for me. But, but we see guys like David Blaine, or Penn and Teller, or these different magicians do things, and we're like, that's crazy. I don't know how they did that. And that's where it stops. You finish watching a special on Netflix where you you get your mind a little bit blown and you're like, what in the world? And then you turn it off and go to bed. And nothing about your future is different. It's not really changed anything. It's just challenged you and kind of made you go, huh, I wonder how that's, I wonder how that happened. That's the crowd that's following Jesus right now. They, they're marveling. They don't understand. They're, they're, they're following Jesus because he's doing some things that they don't know what they're, they're supposed to do with. But their lives haven't really been changed. They don't really understand. And this morning as we enter into the story of Nicodemus and Jesus and the conversation that they're going to have, that, that, that misunderstanding of what Jesus came to do is going to be given a name and a face and an identity in the person of Nicodemus. And so let's jump in to John chapter 3. And I hope you guys brought it like a, a, a cliff bar or something because we got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to be here a while. Um, set the expectations at the start. Verse uh, Chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So let's just stop and talk for a minute. The, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he wants to have a conversation. And Nicodemus is a leader. He's a religious teacher of the law. He's got a lot of Bible knowledge. He knows the Old Testament very well. He would have been very well respected in the community. But, and I think it matters here that, that he comes to Jesus, but the way in which he comes matters a great deal. How does he approach Jesus? It says, by night. Throughout the Gospel of John, we see, and we'll see towards the end of our text this morning, that John does this, this, this thing all throughout his letter where he contrasts darkness and light. That Jesus comes as the radiance, the bright shining light of the glory of God, and you can either walk in light or walk in darkness. And so Nicodemus, in darkness, comes to meet with Jesus. And so the way in which he comes to Jesus matters, but then also look at the posture of his heart. He says, Rabbi. He calls him a teacher. He puts, he puts Jesus and himself on the same playing field. They're both teachers. They're both well respected. And so he's saying, you and I are peers. We're equals, Jesus. And I know what you're up to. We know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things unless God is with him. He says, Jesus, I figured you out. 
I've got everybody else is confused. They don't know what's going on. I got the secret. God's with you. God's doing things in and through you. And I want us to, to not miss the fact that Nicodemus is having this conversation with who? Jesus. The radiance of the glory of God, who is the exact imprint of his nature, who upholds the universe by the word of his power, who also is called Emmanuel. And Emmanuel is what? God with us. He's saying, Nicodemus goes, and in his pride and in his misunderstanding, he starts the conversation saying, Jesus, I figured you out. God's with you. And he misses that God is with him in that moment in the flesh. What Nicodemus is going to find out as this story progresses is he starts from a place of, I've got all the answers. I know what's going on. And Jesus is going to show him, no, you started from the wrong point. You started, Nicodemus, as a teacher of the law, as a Pharisee, as somebody who is educated beyond their intelligence with, you have predicted the future that the Messiah has to look like. And because I don't match that picture, you're not going to receive me. You don't understand. And that's where Jesus goes in verse 3. He says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, I figured you out. I know what you're up to. I know how you're able to do these things, Jesus. It's because God's with you. And Jesus responds with, truly, truly. That's Jesus' way of saying, what I'm about to say, you can take it to the bank. This is for sure certain. He says, you can't even see my kingdom unless you've been born again. What I want us to see as we focus our minds and hearts this Christmas season as Jesus, as the radiance of the glory of God, is that in order for us to worship him in that way, it starts with a new birth. We have to be born again, as Jesus puts it. That is the first place. We have to be born from again by the Spirit of God if we want to even see what God has for us in the future. Nicodemus says, I know what you're doing And Jesus says, you don't even see my kingdom. And Nicodemus is going to now, he started in pride. He's going to move on to a spot of a little bit of confusion as his imagination runs a little wild. In verse 4, Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? All my moms, this is where you go, no. No, that can't happen. He doesn't understand. He takes, Jesus is speaking about a spiritual reality, a spiritual birth. And Nicodemus interprets it with a confused and puzzled look in my imagination. It's like, wait, what? How would that, that doesn't even seem possible. And Jesus goes on in verse five. He says, truly, truly, again, trust what I'm about to say. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus raises the bar. He goes from, you can't even see the kingdom, to you don't get to participate in the future that I have for you unless you're born of water and of the Spirit. And I do think it's important to maybe kind of pause here and and explain what is Jesus talking about when he says born of the water and of Spirit. Because some people will take this and go, see, baptism saves. And we have baptism services coming up, as Jeff talked about, next weekend. And we would argue that, that baptism is, in fact, not necessary for salvation. And I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about at all. I don't think that's where he's taking Nicodemus here. We'll get to where Jesus is going in a second. 
But I do want us to know that this is not a verse saying you need baptism to be saved. However, with the fact that baptism is coming up next week, let me just take this opportunity to say my belief, our belief is baptism doesn't save you. But if you have a new birth, if you have been born again, if Jesus has taken you out of darkness and into light and you have not been baptized, that's the first step of obedience. I want us to think about it this way. Go back to your wedding day or think, look, look ahead to your wedding day if you're not married. You stand before your spouse and you say, I do. You make this covenant and it's beautiful. And then the first thing your spouse asks you to do, you say, oh, uh, not that. I won't do that. I'll, any, anything else, but I'm not that first thing. Nope, not, not going there. Not doing that. How good is that relationship really going to be if the first opportunity to love and submit to each other starts with defiance and disobedience? And so if you're here this morning and you have not been baptized, but you would say, I have a new birth. Jesus, I have been born again by the Spirit of God. I would highly encourage you not to pray about it, but to do it. Next week, you have an opportunity. Don't make an excuse. Come and be baptized. Jesus, when he charges his disciples, he says, go and make disciples and baptize them. This is your first opportunity to walk in faith-filled obedience. And so it's not a question of, would God have you? It's a question of, are you looking at God and saying, I think I'm more important. I don't want to be uncomfortable. My will is more important than your word. And so I do want to encourage us, if you have not been baptized, get baptized next week. It's this awesome celebration that the church gets to rally around each other and, and symbolically be buried with Christ and raised in this newness of life. And it's, it's such an incredible opportunity to put Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God. We get to participate in that, in baptism. And so let's do that. Let's walk in faith-filled obedience. But that's not what this text is talking about. So what is this text talking about? Is it talking about just um, being physically born versus being spiritually born? I think Jesus is going to get there. I actually think what Jesus is doing, again, let's remember who he's talking to. He's talking to a religious leader who knows his Bible really, really well. And so I think what Jesus is doing is he's taking Nicodemus back to a familiar passage from the, from the, uh, prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, Jesus says, or God says through the prophet Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I've gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. I think Jesus here is bringing Nicodemus back to what he already knows. That when the Messiah shows up, the future that he's been waiting for is here in Jesus. And it involves being cleansed from your sin. That you need to be born. You need to be clean. You need to be purified. That Jesus comes as living water to wash over him and give him a new spirit. That Nicodemus, you know this is coming. You need a new birth. You need a new life. You need a new heart. And that's what the Messiah has come to give. 
And so I don't think it's a comparison and contrast, uh, contrasting uh, physical birth versus spiritual birth, but I do think that's where Jesus is going to go in verse 6. He says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. I think it's important for us to know that when, when we read the word flesh, especially if we read a lot of like Paul's letters or Peter's letters to the churches, um, we, we tend to think of flesh as sin and temptation and this struggle. But when John uses this word, what he's talking about is the frailty, the brokenness of our condition. And so the way that I come to think of it this week is that our flesh is weak, is frail, but the spirit is strong. And don't we know that to be true? Even this week, hopefully, is over and over again, we were all proclaiming, Jesus, you are brighter than this current struggle. Didn't your flesh still let you down? Isn't it still feel frail and broken and messed up? Jesus came to give us a spiritual new birth, a, a, a new... Um, a new hope, a new strength that's not of our own thing, not of our own doing, but what he has done. And then he continues in verse seven. He says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Nicodemus, you know this to be true. You've been prepared. You've studied the Old Testament. You knew I was coming. And then in verse eight, just to help him understand how big the, the radiance of the glory of God is. He says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Without a new birth, you can't understand God's future for you. He's, he tells Nicodemus, you can't even figure out the weather. You need me. You need a new life, a new heart, a new birth in order to understand the future that I would have for you. You are massively off the mark here, Nicodemus. And Jesus, or Nicodemus is going to respond again. He started from a position of pride. I've got you figured out. And then he asked a clarifying question. Wait, what are you talking about? And then in verse 9, we see that Nicodemus is totally stumped. He said, how can these things be? Jesus, I concede, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm totally lost. And Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you don't understand these things? Again, Nicodemus had a lot of head knowledge that hadn't changed. Because he doesn't have a new birth, he needs, he doesn't have new beliefs. And that's the second thing we see that Jesus is going to transition into here is that when we experience a new birth, we start to understand that everything changes because of our relationship with Christ. What you believe, who you were, is different because of Jesus. Verse 11, he says, Truly, truly, Again, take it to the bank. I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Nicodemus, you know the Bible. We've made it clear that the Messiah, the future you're waiting for is going to come. You're going to need a new life. You're going to need a new heart. These things are coming. We've, we've been witnessing and testifying and, and you've got all of these preparation by the Spirit of God, all these preserved works that have been written and passed down. They bear testimony about us. But it doesn't match your picture, so you reject it. I wonder this morning if there's any of us in this room who, man, our futures aren't turning out like we thought they would. 
when you dreamed about a marriage, when you dreamed about a family, when you dreamed about a career, when you dreamed about a church, when you dreamed about a house, when you, all these futures that you were looking forward to, now all of a sudden you find yourself in the midst of what God has for you and you're like, this doesn't match what I wanted. Jesus, I'm going to push you away because this isn't turning out like I expected. That's what the Pharisees did. Jesus didn't fit in their box and so they rejected him. Even though they should have been the most ready to receive, they rejected because he did not fit their picture of their future. And Jesus is going to go on to kind of unpack some familiar Old Testament stories to again demonstrate that when you have a new birth, your beliefs change. Nicodemus, the stories you know from the Old Testament need to be interpreted, need to be understood in light of who I am as the Messiah. Verse 12, if I told you earthly things you do, do not believe, how can you believe if I, have, if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He takes Nicodemus back to the book of Daniel, where Daniel gets a vision from the Lord. And in Daniel 7, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of this time, were looking forward to a future where the Messiah would come. And he would usher in this everlasting dynasty, this dominion here on earth, that they would be f freed from Roman oppression. And Jesus doesn't match that picture. He is this son of man who is given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. And all people's nations and languages will come and worship him. But he starts with establishing a spiritual rule and reign. He ushers in a spiritual kingdom and it doesn't match what they believed and so they rejected it. And so Jesus here is pointing to himself as the son of man. He goes to Daniel, but he goes even further back as in verse 14, a, a biblical reason I think to hate snakes. Verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He takes Nicodemus all the way back to Numbers. He goes to the Pentateuch and he says, remember that story where God sends fiery serpents on his people and they start uh, attacking and biting with poisonous venom and people start dying and Moses has to wrap a snake around a pole and lift it up and unless you lifted your eyes and looked to the provision from God through Moses, you were not spared and you passed away. First off, fiery serpents? Nope, I'm out. That's terrifying. Like snakes are, snakes are demons. I hate snakes. Um, but he says, so too, just like that story that you're familiar with, Nicodemus, the son of man, I'm going to be lifted up on a tree and you have to look to me to get a new birth. You need new beliefs that flow out of a new birth. You need to be born again by the spirit and that needs to impact how you view everything. All the Old Testament, Nicodemus, that you think you know so well, you need to understand and believe it in light of who I am and in light of what I'm going to do. Everything about our future is impacted by the gospel. 
as you grow in your relationship with Christ, as you walk out this new life, this new birth, your beliefs should change and you should start to see how Jesus changes how you spend your money, how you love your wife, how you parent your kids, how you watch things on TV, how you engage with technology, what church you come to, how you read the Bible. Everything is changed. As Jesus gives you a new birth, he gives you new beliefs. Everything gets reinterpreted in light of who Jesus is. That's what he's spurring Nicodemus onto here. And then in verse 16, we get to the verse that we probably all learned in Awanas or VBS growing up. Um, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We love this verse. This verse is awesome because it, it beautifully puts on the, on display the tension of salvation that it starts and is initiated by God, that God loved the world. God sent his son. But then you and I also have a response that we have to believe. And I want us to hold that tension that it's, it's God's work that we respond to. You can't be born again on your own will or power. You need Jesus to initiate, but then you have a responsibility to respond. But what I want us to see here is that verse 16 puts on display the person of salvation, that God sends his son for you, for me, for Nicodemus. Verse 17, though, we often stop at verse 16. Uh, Verse 16 gives us the person. Verse 17 shows us the purpose. Why did God send his son He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. God wants to give you a new life. He wants to be your bright future. And that only comes in and through a relationship with Christ. He did not come to condemn you, but to set you free. Let's remember last week when he's standing there in front of this woman caught in adultery, he he says, I don't condemn you. I'm going to take your condemnation. I'm going to be the son of man. I'm going to hang from a tree and be murdered on your behalf. So there is no condemnation in me anymore. Jesus came to save. And then our response, verses 18, is, is what is our perspective of who Jesus is? And what I want us to see is that when you have a new birth, That leads to new beliefs, which result in new behaviors. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Church family, what you do with Jesus matters more than anything else. We talked about this a little bit last week, but there is there is no neutral when it comes to the gospel. You either come under the covering of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and you allow a new birth and new beliefs to result in new behaviors, or you stand opposed, and it's so sure that judgment is spoken of here as if it's already happened. That the condemnation, you stand opposed to God's free gift, that the day will come when you will give an account. Our beliefs should result in new behaviors. And John puts this on display, and Jesus teaches of this here at the end as we kind of wrap up. It says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's Jesus. And the people love darkness 
rather than the light because their works were evil. I think about it this way. Uh, again, remember back when we used to be able to go places and do things? Um, you would go to the movie theaters. that Those used to exist. Um, and you'd go and you'd watch a movie. And if you came out and it was daytime, doesn't the, the light like almost hurts. The way that I thought about it this week, it'd be like coming out of the movie theaters and the light is so bright that you turn and run back in to the darkness. That's what, that's what people did with Jesus. And my encouragement, my hope, church family, is let us not run back to darkness after seeing the radiance of the glory of God. The light of the world came in, but men loved darkness rather than the light because their actions, their behaviors, their works were evil. It says everyone who does wicked thing hates the light. Again, what you do with Jesus matters. He does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. As we wrap up our series, as we, we get ready for Christmas Eve and, and look forward to the little baby wrapped in a manger and, and all the joy of this next week, all the busyness of this week, I want us this morning to spend a few moments prayerfully, contemplatively saying, Jesus, how are you changing my future? How am I walking with you and the rest of today looks different and tomorrow looks different and the things that I believe are different because Jesus comes as the light of the world, the radiance of the glory of God, not just to redeem your past, not just to show grace in the present, but give you a new and bright future. The way that you walk, the things that you do, the path that you travel should look different than the world around us because we don't hate the light, we love the light. So I'm going to have the worship team come back up and we're going to transition into a time of celebrating the radiance of the glory of God. And, and we're going to partake of communion, which is an opportunity for us to proclaim that bright future that Jesus has for us, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, that he is coming back to rescue us. And so hopefully on the way in, you got one of these little cups. Um, and what I want us to do is take a few moments, and I want us to remember and celebrate his broken body and his shed blood, proclaiming the future. And then I want you to prayerfully ask the Lord, where do my beliefs need to change? Where do my behaviors need to change? Jesus, where I need you, the light of the world, to come shine on those dark areas and start changing me, working on me, showing me where I need to be more like Jesus. And then we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And my encouragement is that we would leave here knowing that Jesus not only is brighter than our past, he's not only brighter than our present, but he is our bright future that wants to change our today and our tomorrow. Would you pray with me?